Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. Here again the words of the psalmist. When the Lord restores Zion's fortunes, we should be like dreamers. Then will our mouth fill with laughter and our tongue with glad song. Then will they say in the nations, great things has the Lord done with these. Great things has the Lord done with us. We shall rejoice. Restore, Lord, our fortunes like fishnets in the Negev. They who sow in tears and glad songs will reap. He walks along and weeps, the bearer of the seed bag. He will surely come with the, in with glad song, bearing his sheaves. The NRSV, when it was put together back in the 80s, it was put together by a committee of biblical scholars. And so sometimes the translations are spot on. Other times, as working with committees, they don't always get it right because they have to come to a consensus. And this is one instance where I have to wonder if they got it right. Because Robert Alter, the, one of the best scholars, the main scholars of the Book of Psalms today, has a completely different translation for Psalm 126 from the NRSV. The NRSV begins with verbs in the past tense, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. But as Robert Alter points out in his commentary, this is very much a prayer to God for restoration to come about, a future event. When the Lord restores Zion's fortunes, the fortunes that the psalmist speaks of is most likely Israel's return out of exile and back to the land, the land promised to Moses, to Sarah and Abraham, the promised land that was taken from them when the Babylonians destroyed their temple and, their, and the city of Jerusalem in 586 BCE. These exilic psalms, as they're often called, often dream of the day when the Babylonians would, would be punished for their actions. And Israel would be restored to its place in the world. The psalmist is, is dreaming of a much better day, just like Louis Armstrong dreams of a better day in his song, What a Wonderful World. Perhaps you can relate to the psalmist this day, dreaming of a day when we can come out of our caves and return to a normal existence. But with all respect to Louis Armstrong and, and, our, and our psalmist, I don't know if I can ever forget about the events of the past few months. To illustrate my reasoning, I want to direct our attention today to the book of Job. In the book of Job, we hear of a man from the land of Uz, who was sincere and upright, God-fearing and shunning evil. He was married and had seven sons and three daughters. And not only that, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of cattle, 500 she-donkeys, whatever that might be, and very much a large farming production. And the man, as the, the book of Job says, 
And the man named Job was greater than all the children of the east. Job did all the right sacrifices and burnt offerings to God. He was the quintessential teacher's pet. But unbeknownst to Job, the day came when the angels of God, the Lord, God himself, and the adversary, known as the Hastan, not Satan, as most Christians like to confuse that. He's not Lucifer here. But this adversary came together for a meeting. The Lord said to the adversary, Where are you coming from? And the adversary answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking in it. Now the Lord said to the adversary, Have you paid attention to my servant Job? For there is none like him in all the earth, a sincere and upright man, God-fearing and shunning evil. Have you met my teacher's pet? And the adversary answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, you haven't you made a hedge around him, his household, and all that he has on all sides? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his livestock has spread out in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. Will he not blaspheme you into your face? Well, the Lord said to the adversary, Behold, all that you have, all that he has is in your hands. Only upon him do not stretch forth your hand. God made a bet with the adversary. And in the blink of an eye, everything that was of value and worth to Job was taken away. Job was left with nothing. The livestock, his home, destroyed his children, all killed. Job was left with only ashes of the life he once knew and loved. And Job spends the next 38 chapters arguing with his so-called friends who seem to want to blame Job for his misfortunes, saying that he must have done something to anger God. But Job defends himself the entire time to his friends, yet his friends over and over and over again keep blaming him. Eventually, God does show up. But God doesn't do what, what the reader is expecting God to do. God doesn't tell Job about any of these events happening in the background, about the bet made the adversary. The Lord does not tell him any of that. Instead, the Lord says, where were you when I founded the earth? Tell if you know understanding. Eventually, Job's wealth is restored. The book of Job tells us that he now has 14,000 flocks, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of cattle, and 1,000 she-donkeys, whatever that might be. And he had 14 sons, but only three daughters. Job lives a very long life after this. He's able to see four generations of his family come about. It appears that Job's life has returned back to normal. And often, before 2020, that is how I read the book of Job. But now that 2020 has happened, I've realized that's not the way it should happen. That's a false misinterpretation false interpretation. I realized 
for the first time in my life that Job lost seven sons and three daughters. They have no names, and their lives came to a very abrupt and violent end, all because of a bet made between God and the Hasatan. There's so much loss of life here. You know, back in April, I, I shared in the story about how my son Thomas was passed on the back of my dad's car one day and was not responsive. I, I still get very choked up whenever I think about that day. A day that I nearly carjacked someone out on, Mar- on West Martin Street because I didn't have a way to get home to rescue my son. I think back to that day and how much it makes me sick to my stomach, knowing that we were so lucky that he was okay. Even during this virus, my wife and I have taken so many extra precautions to protect our two boys. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose one of them. I could not function. I certainly could not be like Job who just seems to return back to his old life unscathed by the past. Job might have been, had the things taken away from him restored. He certainly would never have, but he certainly would never have forgotten the day that he learned his life was in ashes. When the Lord restores Zion's fortunes, we should be like dreamers. Then will our mouth fill with laughter and our tongues with glad song. Then will they say in the nations, great things has the Lord done with these. Great things has the Lord done with us. We shall rejoice. If we're going to have an authentic advent, we need to have an honest conversation here. Restoration does not mean things go back to normal. The things taken from us, even if they are restored at double the rate that they were taken, will never truly be replaced. You simply cannot replace the 296,000 lives lost in the United States, the 1.6 million lives lost worldwide. You simply cannot replace the life of a loved one who died at the hands of an invisible disease. Our world, our nation, our community will feel the loss that this virus has brought upon us for generations to come. Every time I see someone walk into a store without a mask, I just shake my head and mumble under my breath. It will take some time for us all to not look with anger and suspicion at our neighbor. It will take some time to get used to not wearing this mask. For anyone expecting God to come down and bring a Job-like restoration is going to be in for a rude awakening. Job did not, sorry, Job did Read the loss of his children until the day of his death. That I am certain of. Job lived with the scars of his loss, and there was no amount of restoration that could ever fix the pain that he would always feel. God will bring restoration, my brothers and sisters. COVID-19 will be in the rear view mirror, hopefully sooner rather than later. But we will always have the scars of this time, just like our Lord carried his own scars in his hands and feet from the cross, even as he was lifted up into heaven to take his rightful place at the throne of God. To forget what has happened during this time is the same as denying our Lord was crucified. To only focus on the resurrection means we forget the fact that on the cross our Lord died for you and for me. 
Restoration means living with the past as a constant reminder so that the future might be filled with less pain and misery. Restoration means we allow the mistakes of the past to educate us all in our future endeavors. Restoration means life, but it also means that we will never forget the loss of life we have felt in the past. As the psalmist reminds us, what began in tears and weeping will end with shouts of joy and arms filled with proof of God's great work in our midst. We are called to live expectantly, fully convinced that the tears and weeping of our day will not have the last word. The God we serve is the God of restoration and reversal. And as Advent reminds us, our waiting for this, res- for this restoration will not be in vain. And so we wait. Hold up in our homes, scared of what the future might well hold for us. But we wait. Because we know God knows how to restore what has been tarnished and destroyed. God knows how to fix this. The pain you might be feeling today, the loneliness that you might be feeling today, the fear that you might be feeling today, God knows how to fix it, how to restore it. But we must wait. We must be patient. But we're not a patient people. And that is exactly why we need this season of Advent, each and every year, to remind us of the importance of waiting on our Lord. Advent reminds us of this timeless truth. Restoration. It will come. It will come from God. And we, we will be glad indeed. And so we pray. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.